0: No, it's actually five days, but I didn't want (laughs) to. Lovely to see you this morning. If you think it's cold, I heard on the radio it's minus 15 at Armidale, northern New South Wales. So let's thank God that we're doing, we're only four degrees or five degrees here. Praise the Lord. Get your Bibles handy because we're going to need them this morning. Um. Uh, let's pray and ask for God to bless his word. Lord, as we uh, open up your word, at this stage it's ink on a page, but you can do something wonderful with it and you can turn it into life and spirit and reality and strength and encouragement and hope in our lives. So Father, as we uh, read your word this morning, as we hear your word, let us go from here different people than when we came in, uh, encouraged and lifted up and more understanding of those things that you want to do in us and through us. We ask it in Jesus' magnificent name. Amen. So we've been doing a series, the church has been doing a series on Hebrews. And my uh, responsibility this morning is to take us through through Hebrews chapter 5. So would you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 5, please? And I'm going to read it. I use the New King James Version and others of you. I know a lot of people use NIV but uh, they're not going to be too far from each other. So this uh, the thesis, the whole thesis of the book of Hebrews is that it was written to people who were Hebrew, who were Israelites, Israelis. And for fifteen hundred years approximately they 'd been had drilled into them a system of worship of the temple and the sacrifices and the offerings and this was how they would approach God, the priesthood it had become part of their their fabric the whole fabric of their life. Remember these people overwhelmingly lived in small villages not big cities like sydney and melbourne and adelaide and whatever they lived in villages and so they'd all walk to the synagogue which was local to them and it was all part of what they did the weddings the the funerals all in uh, what's the word i'm looking for drilled into them about how they should live under this covenant this contract with god and then jesus came and he fulfilled all of the requirements of that old covenant, that old law. And he instituted a new covenant. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing to them and saying, look, what you've known and what you've understood and what you've practised for 15-odd hundred years has come to an end. And there's a new contract there's a new covenant. There's a new way of doing things. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it was. I don't think it's Paul. People say they like to think it's Paul, but I don't think it's Paul because it's diff- he writes differently to this, but who would, who, who would know? Um, so he writes to them and says, there's a new contract. So let's read uh, Hebrews 5. And in this particular passage, he's contrasting the old... A priesthood with a new priesthood. So let's read it. Um, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and unknowing and going astray since he himself is also beset by weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man takes this honour to himself, but he who was called by God, just as Aaron was. So in this passage, the writer is contrasting Jesus who he's saying is the new high priest, with the old high priest. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he, that is God, who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who... In the days of his flesh, this is speaking about Jesus now, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to God, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, even though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author "...of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God." And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So this was written to the Hebrews... And it was saying to them that all that structure that you knew, all of that uh, way of worship has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He was in fact sort of saying to them, Jesus is what you are waiting for. Everything that you looked forward to, everything that you practiced, there it is, Jesus is what you've been waiting for. You know, we could, we could say that to our society really out there today for all of the things they're chasing for all of the things they're wanting all of the things that they would want to be changed in their life jesus is what you've been waiting for nev sat in his green cortina just needing jesus and you know what our friends and our relatives and our beloved and our neighbors what they really need who they really need is jesus so the writer of Hebrews saying Leave behind you what you've practised for all of that time. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, don't turn to this, but just a couple of verses. comes out of Acts 15. And the first couple of verses, it reads like this, verse 1 and 2. And certain men, this is in the New Testament church now, Paul and the disciples, and certain men came down from Judea, And taught the brethren. This is what they taught them. Unless you are circumcised. According to the custom of Moses. You cannot be saved. Therefore Paul and Barnabas. Had no small dissension. And dispute with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas. And certain others of them. Should go up to Jerusalem. To the apostles and elders. About this issue. So. Being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia, Samaria and whatever. So what was happening is a new covenant was brought to that New Testament church. A new freedom. Jesus has fulfilled everything that you're you're busting yourself to achieve. Jesus has done it. But certain disciples, they wanted to cling back to the old covenant. They had become believers and they said, yeah, but you've got to be circumcised. And that was taking them back. And Paul said, "Paul and Barnabas said, no, no, no. That's behind us now. There's a new way of doing things. And um, quite frankly, well, they went down to Jerusalem in Acts 15. And they had a big debate. They had a big church council. And they uh, came up with just a, a handful of things that they would stick with. But all of that old law, all of that, uh, those old sacrifices were put behind them. And you know the church that young infant church could have died then and there if those men those men in verse one had prevailed and insisted on people being circumcised would have gone straight back to being uh, the old covenant and the old testament way of worship but Paul Barnabas that whole new covenant prevailed and so we have the freedom that we enjoy today so Chapter 5 here, it was telling them back then that we've moved on. And so it was saying to them, there's a new covenant, there's a new way of doing things. But what does it say? What does chapter 5 say to us in 2018? Because we're living in a different time of history. We're living with a different cultural background. It says much to us. And, And I'm going to try and expound that this morning. Benny said, I've only got an hour and three quarters, so I'm really going to go as fast as I can. There, I think there are four main themes in this chapter. It's actually three and a half themes, really, because it touches on Melchizedek. And in verse 11, it says, Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing. So I'm not going to talk much about Melchizedek this morning. But whoever gets chapter 7 in a few weeks' time, they can talk about Melchizedek. So there are three main um, themes apart from Melchizedek. So verses 1 to 4, which we've read, refers to the highest and most holy day in the worship of Israel. And that was the Day of Atonement. It's given to us in Leviticus chapter 16. It was a solemn day. It was a high day. It was a holy day. It was a day when the high priest could enter into the holiest of holies and offer sacrifice, or offer sacrifice previously, but go into that holiest of holies and plead for the lives of the nation of Israel. It was a day when the priest would have to wash himself. It was a day when he put on linen, uh, plain linen. Uh, in that Old Testament, there it talks about uh, sort of fancy clothes, glad rags, you know, this colour and that colour and this colour. But on that day, it had to be plain linen, linen pants, a linen coat, had to wash himself. He had to offer sacrifice. On behalf of his family, himself and his family, before he could go into offer sacrifice for the rest of the nation. He had to offer for himself, he had to be uh, ritually clean himself. And, and this is really the point of these four, first few verses that he had to recognize his own sinfulness. His own need for salvation, if we can use that term. In verse um, 2, it says, He can have compassion on those who are ignorant or unknowing and going astray since he himself is also beset by weakness. And the writer is contrasting this, of course, with Jesus. And so the high priest was reminded of his frailty, his personal frailty, when he was going to offer sacrifice for the people that he he interceded, on, on whose behalf he interceded. He was reminded that he was a sinner just as much as they were. He was reminded that he needed forgiveness just as much as they needed forgiveness. There was no room for a holier than thou you know i'm the high priest and god was saying to me mate you're just as much a sinner as the people that you're standing in for and so he had that's why he had to offer uh sacrifice you know it's a good realization that all of us are just like the rest of us the things that you battle with are things that other people battle with you know we all battle with different things. Some with this and some with that and some with that. But everyone has battles. Everyone has battles. Everyone has to, uh, everyone needs the Lord and everyone needs to come to grips with those things that uh, attack their mind and attack their body. But I'm thinking mostly of mine. Uh, everyone has fears. Everyone has challenges. Yours might, yours might be different from mine. They might not be. But we're all like the rest of us. And so the priest was reminded of this. Let's contrast this with the Pharisees. I want to read to you from Matthew 26 uh, about, um, about these Pharisees. Let me, no, Matthew 23. I knew when I said 26, it wasn't right. So the Pharisees were religious people. And Jesus ripped into them because they thought they were better than everyone else. Here's how it reads Matthew 23, verse 13. But woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. It says your attitude is locking people out. Verse 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. This is, this is, this is the killer verse. For you travel land and sea to win one convert, and when he is one You make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. They travel land and sea to win a convert and then they load him up with burdens that they themselves can't carry but they drop them onto him. And I think what was happening in here in these Hebrews verses uh, when the high priest had to offer sacrifice for himself, he was reminded that he was needing forgiveness. He was needing forgiveness. Intercession uh, uh, b- before the throne of God, as he did these things on, on the other days, he wore a breastplate with twelve stones in it, and each stone represented one of those tribes. So as he carried on his his ministry, he was carrying on his breastplate and also on his shoulders actually the, the, the cares of the nation of Israel. Most of us know the story of uh, John Newton, uh, the slave trader who became a preacher. And uh, he was the man who wrote Amazing Grace. We sing it, we sing it lots of, probably of all the songs that we know, of all the hymns we know, I reckon we'd sing that one the most. He he went to sea as a young man. He had a godly mother, but he went to sea as a young man and he became utterly debauched. By the way he lived. Uh, It was said of him that he led others into sinfulness. He was good at sinning. And he enjoyed it. Well, uh, it's a beautiful story, but I'm not going to give you the whole story. But he did get wonderfully saved. Initially, he stayed at sea and started to do, uh, if I can use the term, Bible studies uh, on the ship. And then he realised, no, no, this isn't isn't really uh, the way... It ought to be. He had a minor stroke and he became a harbour master. He, he, he turned his back on the sea, became a harbour master, but he felt the call of God in his life. He became a pastor of a church at a place called Olney, uh, country England, uh, sort of like a Victor Harbour, not a, not a big town. He ended up in London, uh, leading a, a beautiful church in London, but he was pastor at Victor Harbour, say, and um, he told many stories while he was there of the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the magnitude of God's forgiveness because he was a, he was a thorough rat bag. Rat bag's a kind word to him. And he told stories about, about God's libera- liberating power and his ability to transform lives. You know, that country church got packed to the ceilings and they had to put in a you know, a balcony packed to the ceilings because of the grace that he ministered, because God had ministered grace to him. Now, I said all that so that I could say this. In his study, uh, as he was preparing sermons, he would look up and he had over his fireplace, he had written a scripture. And that scripture occurs five times in the book of Deuteronomy. And it says, it says, it says, remember that you were a slave in Egypt. And so as John Newton prepared his sermons, and maybe there's an inclination to go out and belt people, to go out and hit people. He'd look up and he'd, he'd be reminded that he was a slave himself and this is this is and so he went out with grace and he went out with gentleness and he went out with 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 tenderness and so this high priest had to sacrifice for himself to remind him that he was just as much in need now beloved what application does this have to us today as we go out and minister to people as we go out and share our lives with people Just remember that they are under burdens, just as you have to battle against burdens. They are under different burdens than you maybe, but they're under burdens. So be gentle, be kind, be nice to people because they're carrying heavy, heavy weights on their shoulders. We were sinners just like them, but Jesus came and transformed our lives. We were lost. But Jesus came and transformed our lives. We were unknowing. We were ignorant. We didn't know Leviticus from Revelation. But Jesus came into our lives and he taught us how to live. All of us need God's grace and mercy washing over our lives. There's no room for spiritual pride that says, I'm better than you because I don't go down the pub and I don't do drugs and I don't beat my wife. There's no room for that. Uh, we need to be tender and soft and gentle. And this is what, this is what I think uh, the writer is saying. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. Let's move on to the second uh, major thought here, and that is a priest forever. So at the very end of this is Melchizedek. So in verse 5... There is a key scripture there, key passage, for the deity of Christ. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was God who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Now, um, the fact that Jesus was the son of God is a critical, critical, critical part of our Christian doctrine. That he was, not only was he a son of God, but he was God as well. God in the flesh became flesh and came down and dwelt amongst us. The Muslims say that Jesus, yes, he existed, but he was just a prophet, a good prophet. But he was more than a prophet. The Jehovah's Witnesses say that uh, Jesus is not in any way equal to God, but he is traditional Christian doctrine says that he was God that God became flesh and came and dwelt amongst us and and, and and died for the his creation so let's get on to verse 7 who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, this, this, this bit refers to the Gethsemane experience. Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, took place on the night uh, in, in which Jesus was betrayed. He had the uh, Last Supper. He knew what was ahead of him. He went to the garden. He said to his disciples, come with me, I've got to pray. Went out into the garden uh, and then he said to Peter and James and John, just come a bit further with me. And Jesus, knowing what was ahead of him, began to pray. He'd seen, Jesus had seen crucifixions. He had seen people whipped. It wasn't unique to Jesus. A lot of people uh, were crucified. Um, and so he he knew that he was gonna he who knew no sin it says in Corinthians was going to become sin for us he who knew no sin was going to carry the sins of the world the rapes the murders the genocides the bombings the killings the stabbings the lying the cheating it was all going to fall on the shoulders of Jesus. He went out into the garden and he knew what was ahead. And he said, Father, he said this three times, three times. He said, God, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And then the second time, he prayed again, God, my Father, I want this thing to pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And the third time, God, I'm begging you, let this thing pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours. And so Jesus came to that place where he submitted totally and completely, knowing what was ahead of him. After having gone through the struggles of obedience, he said, nevertheless, not my will but yours. And of course, out of that, Came a great salvation for us. If Jesus hadn't done it, we would be still in our sins. Now, he learnt to push through on the issue of obedience, and that's I just want to talk about that for a minute. Um, We are called to a life of obedience. If we're truly disciples, we ought to obey the Lord. We ought to obey his word. We ought to set our hearts to as much as is within us obey the word of God and sometimes depends on how you live sometimes what we want to do conflicts with the word of God. But I think most of us know what God's word wants us to do and so there can be, I don't know how often, a battle between us knowing what God wants us to do. And then there's something within us. Sin, call it sin. Sin nature, call it temptation. Call it whatever that is pulling us in another direction. And I think, I think the way to beat that and win that battle, I think, is that every one of us in the cold light of day Says, I'm going to obey God's word as much as I know God's word tells me to do something and not do something I'm going to obey that because you know when the pressure is on when the temptation is great when the pull is massive you can sort of talk yourself into anything you remember uh, Jacob and Esau he came in from that day of hunting and he was Starving. He was starving. He said, If I don't eat now, I'm going to die. Well, of course, he was not going to die. He could have lived for three weeks. He said, If I don't eat something, I'm going to die. And his brother said, Well, sell me your birthright. And such was the pull, such was the hunger, that he said, All right, you can have my birthright. And he got a plate of lentils for crying out loud. (laughs) If it was steak (laughs) and chips, (laughs) you could almost you could almost see justification there but a plate of lentils and he gave away his birthright because he was just so pulled by lust by desire and you know in the cold light of day you and i have to say no i'm gonna i'm gonna obey god's word i'm not going to entertain things that are going to lead me in the other direction And out of his obedience, there was great reward. Now, it says in Acts chapter 14 that every Christian has tribulation. Every Christian. It's by tribulation that we enter the kingdom of God. Acts 14 and verse 22. And uh, Pastor Harris, who was the founder of uh, the CRC, uh, one of his favourite sayings was, you only have what you hold when the pressure is on. So, you know, when things are going great for us, everything's great. But when the pressure is on, that's when it shows what we're made of. And so when the pressure is on in your life, fall back onto those things you hold in the cold light of day. When when things are going sweet. There's an incredible verse in Jeremiah 12 and verse 5. It says, if the footmen wearied you, how will you contend with the horsemen? If the footmen, you know, the soldiers, foot soldiers, if the foot soldiers knocked you around, how are you going to handle the horsemen? They're going to go over the top of you. If peace and calm wearies you, how will you go when the Jordan is in flood? And so you and I... We need to hold things in the cold light of day. Push through the temptation. Learn the the message of obedience. Because, you know, it's cheaper to be obedient and pay that price than to be disobedient. You'll pay a much, much higher price. You just think about that, beloved. Uh, Disobedience, very attractive. Obedience pretty tough but if you want to know the price you pay this price rather than that price up there and you do that in the cold light of day I keep saying that Um, don't let your mind debate whether I will or whether I won't walk in obedience because you might talk yourself into disobedience Uh, verse 9 why have I got verse 9 here and having been perfected and, and that, it's sort of a bad word for us because we think of perfect as flawless but it doesn't really mean that the actual Greek word means matured, ripened so it, it, in the growing uh, phase so when you've reached that place where, where it's ripe and matured Jesus became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him and in doing so, he was able to save many. And you know, if you and I can bring our lives to that place of maturity in Christ, maturity in God, we can save many as well. I don't mean a place of salvation. I just mean bring them through to a place of knowing God. Um, now, let's talk about Melchizedek. We're going to be very quick about him. Um, uh, having been perfected, verse 9... He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Now, the scripture doesn't say a huge lot about Melchizedek. Um, as I said, chapter 7, uh, someone will get to talk about Melchizedek, but he was a priest. In the time of Abraham, Abraham went to battle against uh, some kings and he won much booty and on his way back to his home, he went to Melchizedek who was a priest, a high priest and a king and he gave him a tithe of everything that he had uh, captured. And so, you know, when people talk about tithing not being part of... or Uh, you know, part of the law well actually tithing was long before the law long, 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 long before the law okay, someone else can talk about that one so let's have a look at 11 about this guy Melchizedek of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing so the writer heads off on a little bit of a detour here. He says, look, I'd, I'd like to tell you about Melchizedek, but something's happened to you Hebrews, you listeners here. Uh, by, uh, he said, you started off hot and strong. You started off passionate for God. You started off, yeah, 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 let's go. But somehow you've become dull of hearing. You're not listening anymore, he said. Verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you actually need someone to teach you. Again, the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness for he's just a baby solid food belongs to those who are of full age that is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil so something is wrong with these people that he's writing to now in a normal circumstance a baby grows has milk because it needs milk but then uh, as it moves along in its growth solids are introduced and height comes and strength comes and stability comes and uh, understanding comes and language comes and uh, colouring in between the line comes. All of those sorts of things happen in the natural. We've got eight grandchildren. They're gorgeous, they're lovely, they're fantastic, better than all of your grandchildren. (laughs) Uh, and and we've had the fabulous joy of seeing them move from a stage to a stage to a stage to a stage in their life. Little uh, little little um, Isabella, she's only a little one, she would trip over a postage stamp, Ali used to say. She would just trip everywhere. Now she doesn't trip anymore. She just runs and runs because she's growing. And that's the normal scheme of things. The trouble was these people used to be hot and strong for God, and then something went wrong in their growth. And he said, we have to still keep teaching you. You keep forgetting about repentance and faith and baptisms and resurrections. You know, you come to us and you say, tell us about these things again. And he said, but I told you months ago. Why haven't you been able to grab hold of this? And he says, you've become dull of hearing. Um, And I'm wondering... I'm wondering, I'm wondering, what hindrances you and I might face today? It's okay for them. That was their problem. But what might our problems be? What hindrances do we face today? Are we, are we like little Isabella, tripping over a postage stamp? Or are we standing and, and developing stability in our own lives? Um... I might make some suggestions to you. You know, hang on, before I do that, we've really got to be at that place, all of us, where we believe that the word of God and our salvation and the love of Jesus is the central thing in our lives. I love Alison. I love my wife. I love her. I love her. But I love Jesus more. I really do. And, and, and I need to outwork that in my life. It, it, it doesn't conflict, thank the Lord, it doesn't conflict. But as much as I love you, I've got to love Jesus more. As much as I love you name it, I've got to love Jesus more. And I think every one of us has to come to that place where we say, heaven and earth can pass away, but my love for the Lord is not going to pass away. My commitment to the Lord is not going to pass away. And so the writer says to these people, something's gone wrong. Instead of having this as central to your lives, something's happened. So I'm going to make some suggestions. Uh, Were they, or maybe were we, are we, distracted by the cares and riches of this world, crowding out the call of God? Now I tell you, there's plenty of cares and there's plenty of riches in this world plenty of crowding out, every one of us homes, cars phones, electricity bills TVs, holidays (laughs) building new homes all of those things we've got to keep Jesus central, studies ambitions plans got to keep Jesus central must keep Jesus central could it be that cares and riches have distracted us. Maybe focusing on things that will fade and pass away. You know, putting our energy into stuff that we'll throw out. We've had a we've had a sobering experience over this last year as we've shifted from our house. The accumulation of twenty years of living there. We had more garages and more sheds than you could shake a stick at. And they were all chock a block with stuff jammed with stuff we were begging people to take stuff in the end in the end i got a, i should actually i should have bought the photo and showed you a pile we called it mount cranwell of of our carpets our bookcases stuff that nobody wanted and then the big cruncher came and just took them and put them in a skip. And they're all laying there quietly at Wingfield today <laughs> waiting for the resurrection. <laughs> Focusing on things that will pass away. Let's keep our focus on Jesus, all right? Uh, seeing God's ways as of little value. I think this, I think this, is, a, I think this is actually an important one. Uh, seeing the things of God as of little value. Church, fellowship, the body of Christ, communion, the word of God, witnessing, all of those things, or not all, there's a whole lot more, that that make up our Christian life. And there can be an inclination to say, yeah, Sundays is all right. I love Sundays. Sermons not too long church is warm there's always a nice morning tea you know and and then but then you leave and get on with the real life i think there can be an element of that seeing the things of god as as little value having having little value and maybe the last thought there just plain hard hearts uh, Uh, and dull ears just not listening to what God's trying to say to us you know it says in uh, the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord with all your heart all your soul all your mind all your strength that's how That's where we ought to set our hearts solid food enables us to grow and to discern and to reproduce if you stay on milk all your life you're just not growing we need to be moving on to solid food. And the writer of Hebrews was staggered, these people. He said, you should have been strong and fit and healthy so that you can discern what's coming and what's going, what's happening and what's not happening. We're not meant to be just wandering around in a daze. I'll finish with a, with a, a situation I was in a couple of years ago. There was an inter-church meeting. People from, you know, in our area here, people from different churches. And a guy came along, a man came along who actually I'd known from a... I was going to say from a previous life, but a previous work life, that's what I meant. And he was along at this meeting. He'd never been before. He never came again. But he was at that meeting. And he was wanting our meeting, our church council there to agree to this statement that this council values diversity and people were "Mm -hmm." now when you've been around a while and your senses are exercised I'm not trying to be a smart aleck but you understand that that's a code word for a whole lot of other things and uh, people were sitting at that council saying, yeah, we value diversity. And I, <laughs> I don't want to sound like a smart aleck, but I challenged him and said, I'm not so sure. I forget what I said, but my thrust was, I'm not so sure we should be you know, going down this road. Maybe we should talk about it because it was the end of a meeting and everyone wanted to go home. And it would have been easier for everyone just to vote for the thing and go home. I said, maybe we should talk about it when we meet next time. And they all agreed to do that. Well, he never came back and the issue got never got brought up again ever. And it's two years ago now and it's all history. So we learn, we learn, we learn as we grow in the wisdom of God. Some things are good, some things are not good. And we learn to... Maybe, if possible, knock them on the head before they get real big. Our senses are exercised. That's what having a knowledge of Christ leads us into. And we've got to make sure that we don't become dull of hearing and hard-hearted and trip over a postage stamp on the floor because we're just little kids. Are you with me? Yeah, I know you're with me. I know you are. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Chapter 6 actually goes on to outline some of these things, you know, repentance and faith. And, he, and he's saying you, you should really press forward for those issues. And I would pray for myself to press forward in those issues. As much as I know and as much as they're part of my makeup, Lord, I want to know these things more faith and repentance and resurrections and baptisms. And for every one of us here, Lord. We want to grow. We don't want to be just kids drinking milk. We want to be men and women strong in the kingdom of God. Father, let that be for this body of people. Let that be for each individual here this morning, that we grow and stand strong in the Lord. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.